What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Lawyer You Know podcast. I'm your host, Attorney Peter Tragos, and on this podcast, we break down the trials and cases you care most about so that you can understand how the American criminal and civil justice system works. We try to make sure you understand your rights by answering your questions as, well, a lawyer that you know. So we want to walk you through this process and we can do it together. Make sure you get in the comments or in the chats to ask the questions that have been burning in your minds. And while this is not legal advice, it's always exciting. So buckle up for another episode of The Lawyer You Know. What's up, everybody? We're here. We're here. We made it. It was the kids' spring musical tonight. So it was quite hectic getting back in time, but we are here and ready to talk about this case. And I was able to listen some on the drive home to catch some of the end of the day, which it just literally finished, um, which is wild and makes it more difficult with the timestamps. So hopefully it refreshes here and allows me to get back to the timestamps that I have written down. It looks like it has, which is good. So let's get to it today. If you guys haven't already, hit that like button um, and let me know what you think of the video in the comments and subscribe if you haven't already, of course. Today was a very interesting day and today is going to be an interesting, I should say tonight, is going to be an interesting discussion. I'm going to need you all to pipe in, tell me what you think. I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm going to talk about some misconceptions. I'm going to talk about why lawyers do some of the things that they do in these cases Some of it is going to apply specifically to this case, but other times it's going to be kind of generalities because these arguments are made in tons of cases. And I'm going to talk to you about some people I spoke to, some people on Twitter, some people on um, Instagram, and why it's so important and why it's not just, oh, no, that's not why they did it, because people take certain statements and they run with them. Um, So people like the shirt. This was a shirt from a subscriber on YouTube. So you guys are thanking yourselves um, because you guys send the best golf shirts. Um, But let's get into the testimony. And some of the stuff I put on Twitter, um, where it's just like, a, and Twitter is great for certain things and just miserable for other things. And to explain what you think about different situations and have certain conversations with people, it's impossible, literally impossible. Um, you can't get it all out in one statement a lot of times. Um, but it is great because certain things with certain witnesses, if you can't boil down what a witness told you that's relevant to this case, what the jury is supposed to take away in a few bullet points or a few sentences, I don't think they did a great job. Um, either the defense or the actual witness, I should say the attorney or the actual witness. You've got to come in and be like, oh, yeah, 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 that's the guy or that's the gal that said this, that, and the other, and proved this, that, and the other, and responded to them. You got to be able to do that, especially when we're talking these eight-day trials where juries can get bored, especially with a lot of medical testimony, a lot of you sending me messages that you're bored. So I don't mean to belittle or dismiss any testimony if I say, this is what I got from this witness, generally, because so many jurors end up saying that at the end of testimony. And half the time, we don't necessarily know or we aren't focusing on exactly the important points that they pick up on. So that, I think, is interesting as well. So today we started with the finish of the cross of graft. 
Um, the crash was serious enough for a report. He mentions twice that he didn't see it in that report, so we know Christensen didn't see it. Uh, there was argument about whether or not he blamed the male skier. I thought plaintiff's attorney kind of swung and missed there, but, but the biggest thing I thought came out of this cross-examination or the continuation of this cross-examination is that after the crash and before the report, Gwyneth Paltrow and her family went to lunch with Eric Christensen, among others, and we found out in later testimony that they did, in fact, talk about this incident and the ski crash. And again, I've already been on the side that I think Deer Valley is on Gwyneth Paltrow's side. They believe her. They don't have an official statement, but it's pretty clear from most of their employees where they stand. And I don't have a problem with that. If they think, if, if Christensen and Oaks and them, and Oaks I thought was actually very, very unbiased um, and independent, but I do think that that didn't surprise me that Deer Valley is on Gwyneth Paltrow's side. I think it's kind of, it makes me roll my eyes a little bit when they act like they're totally independent and they did this, you know, without um, any kind of bias. It's like, <laughs> I think they're going to believe what Gwyneth Paltrow says. And yeah, he, he, he did give the kids candy and denied it on the stand. And then the kids said he gave him candy. Oh yeah, he was the best. We loved Eric. So I definitely think that that's interesting to me. And I would hammer that in closing as, as the plaintiff's lawyer. Um, and then in redirect, it's like, Hey, thank you so much for coming back. It's like, yeah, he didn't have a choice. Uh, the next witness, I think Dr. Sure, is that his name? Biomechanical expert. Um, expert on skiing and skiology. That's a new one for me. I liked, I loved that they picked a guy that was a ski expert and could say he was and has that on his resume. That gives them one up on the plaintiff's expert who I actually thought did a good job. Some of you, there was mixed reviews. I thought you thought he did a good job at first and maybe not so much anymore. Uh, Bame, that was the bald guy. I still think Bame did a good job, but I also think this doctor did a good job. And I will say, that it's really interesting how so many of you, and I shouldn't say so many of you because they're different people that come in the chat and on Twitter, so many people out there in the public, when this expert, very smart, very great expert, when he said that BAME made a mathematical error and the force applied was only one-fourth of the force that BAME applied and we would expect so much worse injuries if we were using BAME's numbers, I was amazed at how many of you, I shouldn't say you, how many, how much of the public said, wow, wow, I can't believe Bain made such a large mistake. I can't believe he made that mathematical error. Therefore, all of his opinions, everything he said about this case must, in fact, be wrong. Now, I'm willing to bet and I am a betting man, I am willing to bet that the witness, the plaintiff has already told us they're calling and redirect, which is BAME, is going to come and say, absolutely not. My calculations are correct. My math is correct. The force did cause these serious injuries, which is fine. But so many people jumped on board and said, oh, he just blew BAME out of the water. 
That's literally what experts do. And to me, they kind of just cross each other out. That's why I've been saying the whole time, like I'm putting the most stock in Sanderson and Paltrow. They add a lot of context. The experts add a lot of context. And once you start leaning a certain way, it's easy to kind of jump on to the expert of the side that you like and that you agree with. And I think that this guy did a great job, a great job. He talked about, now, he also hit, as I think he should, the fact that Bame said this was the only possible way that it could have happened. And I took issue with that and I said, kind of scares me when experts do that. I prefer experts to be more like this guy who said there's a lot of possible ways, but the plausible way matches up with Gwyneth Paltrow's story. Physics line up with Gwyneth Paltrow's version. Physics don't line up with Terry Sanderson or actually Mr. Ramon's version. I really liked that. I I liked the way he explained it better than Bame, but I, in that sense, but I don't think he was any more convincing as to what physics show than Bame, to me personally. But I like how he qualified all of his answers that this fits Paltrow's version. Because again, that also leaves the opening for the plaintiffs to come by and say, well, yeah, if you work backwards from Paltrow's version, then sure. So we're going to start today with a clip of an animation based on Paltrow's version. And to me, it's really interesting. Some courts will not allow this type of stuff, these reenactment videos or animations to come in. But this court has a lot allowed a lot of them to come in. And this was the first one we saw today. So let's watch it together. How Paltrow explained it. This is the animation. And the collision was left off of Christensen's because he didn't see it. But because um, this doctor is using Paltrow's version, there is a collision in it. So let's watch. Hard to say. If he lands on his right side, kind of like Dr. Bam said, you know, he needs to land on the elbow. That can happen. That can create lateral rib fractures. But that's not the only way. His arm could be out. He can land on the And again, it is so easy for professionals, for doctors, for lawyers. When you tell them something is the only possible way, they're licking their chops because they're going to come up with a hundred other possible ways that are probably technically correct. Which is why I wish he would have said the most plausible way. And this doctor did a good job in in just kind of driving a bus through it, as Mr. Owen says. On the side and create lateral rib fractures. He can land on his side and a little bit towards the back. And Miss Paltrow could land on him. She could be fully on him, maybe um, with her, her buttocks or her back or some portion of her mass compresses his chest front to back. And that can create his rib fractures. From the jump, this always made the most sense. <clears throat> that there are many ways this could have happened. I think I jumped past the animation, so I'm going to back up a little bit. We'll hit the do it. Right, right, finger. I thought he played the whole thing at some point. So if she to her right ski because of the contact from Mr. Sanderson, um, when you ski, if you're in, let's just take a snowplower, what my kids call pizza position, if you weight the right ski, there would be a portion of her. But I can't also just play it. Here we go. Here we go. Here they just play it. So this is her version, the animation of Gwyneth Paltrow's version right here. I'm going to put it back to normal speed. For trajectory, speed, and direction. 
overruled. It's a demonstrative of this witness's testimony only. Right, thank you. Okay. This and, is, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Dr. This sure. is from the, the beginning. And if there's anything you want to comment on as it happens, feel free. I think that accurately. I think it's possible. I think it'd be really weird if he kept his skis just like that. Right? His skis just together like that. I also think it'd be weird if he stayed behind her as long as this animation showed. Like he gets up behind her and then skis for a second as he's behind her. So he's behind her right now. They ski, 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 ski. Then he hits her. Again, it's an imperfect demonstration, but a demonstration nonetheless. And it gives the jury the visual of what exactly happened according to Gwyneth Paltrow. And I think that was the importance of this animation. He continues to hammer the different ways that this could have happened on direct. He gives some mathematical equations. He sounds very smart, very intelligent, very convincing. So I think he did his job with <coughs> um, his expert testimony in this case. Then on cross, they got in that he charges $500 an hour, um, somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000 so far. You're teaching the jury the defendant's version. I don't think that this plaintiff team is very skilled with kind of their, I don't want to say sarcastic, but facetious comments that they make like that. And I really didn't think that they hit it very well with this guy. He asks him about the literature. He's like, I've got literature right here. He's like, well, I haven't seen it, so I actually don't want to see the literature right now. If you're going to ask for it, you better be ready for the expert to know what the literature is on this subject, and he did. Uh, Owens, I think, a couple times as well, both sides, and we'll talk about it a little bit at the end of the day, both sides kind of show their hand a little bit like they're scared of something that I didn't think was a big deal. One of them was Owens and them objecting and saying, no, he can't write on our board. That's our board. And he's like, the judge is like, it's fair game. It's a demonstrative. You can take a picture of it if you want to use it in closing, but it's fair game. He writes on the board ineffectively, in my opinion, but he still writes on the board nonetheless. But the jury probably thought the plaintiff's lawyer won that argument because Owens didn't want him to write on the board. Again, didn't think it was that effective myself. He goes through the possibilities of Ramon's story and how this could have happened. The expert sticks to his guns and is like, it's possible, but it doesn't really go in with the laws of physics. Um, he says he did look into both versions of the events to see what physics applied to, which would make more plausible. And Gwyneth's version was more plausible. I thought he did a great job. Um, you made a lot of assumptions. He did get him to agree that he did make some assumptions. And the expert maybe didn't have the best attitude on cross. I would prefer my experts to just keep it professional, get through it, be done. Even if the lawyer's doing a bad job, don't act like you know it. Don't act like you're going to uh, make a bigger deal about it. Um, <clears throat> then I thought it was interesting that when they start talking about how long he's been on the case, the lawyer acts like he's got some aha moment and he moves to strike the entirety of this witness's testimony. So let's, let's watch that part together. Cause it's interesting and I'll explain why. So you've been working on this for, let's say more than eight months. Sure. You don't know. Um, certainly we've been in contact with the uh, council for longer than eight months. And for the record, Your Honor, I'd like to move to strike all of his testimony because this wasn't disclosed improperly. I, I anticipate the rule. I just want it for the record. Make it it's overruled. It was disclosed properly, counsel. Okay. 
So when you have an expert witness, there are certain disclosures you have to make. You have to let the other side know what their opinions are going to be. Um, they can provide a report. Sometimes they don't have to, depending on the jurisdiction, and you have the opportunity to depose them. So if they don't disclose them in time or they lie about when they hired them, that could be an issue. Usually you won't get their entire testimony struck at this point, number one. Number two, he makes that comment as a speaking objection in front of the jury. So the judge rightfully corrects him and saying, no, he was disclosed properly, which is an extra step this judge did. And you guys know how I feel about Owens. But this judge protected Owens, protected his client without them even asking because he doesn't want the appearance of impropriety that the jury may think, oh, was this guy actually disclosed improperly? He knew what the judge's ruling was going to be, and the judge ruled appropriately. Uh, he got him to admit that he was not a concussion or ribs expert. Okay. He said, no, but I'm an expert on how those injuries happen biomechanically. And he said, we look, doctors, treating physicians, and myself would look at each other on either sides of the equation. We are before the incident happens, how it happened, and they are after the injury happens, how to treat it. I thought that was a great explanation. Um, he is also correct. And the, the plaintiff's lawyer, either he misunderstood where the conversation was going, but this expert was absolutely correct <coughs> that BAME said he only used the rib fractures to prove, um, biomechanically or by physics, how the fall occurred, not the head injury, because the head injury could have occurred a number of different ways. Okay. This expert said, or, or, but this lawyer was like, oh, he didn't say that, but he did. And this expert was correct. On redirect, basically they get up, did anything they said, change your opinion, no. Okay? Then, Paul Bogger, I think was his name, ski expert, safety expert, gets up. We hear that James is actually a MedMal lawyer, which makes sense because he does, he's doing all of the damages or the medical experts in this case. He, it seems like he said he focuses more on med mal, what he's more used to. Um, the judge won't let the expert make conclusions while going through the records. Cause he says that the job of the jury, which he is correct on. And then we get to hear, which we'll watch a little bit together. Cause I just, I love a good whining by Owens who says, you know, Judge, it's so unfair. We have this 37-page report and a late filing, and now you're gutting it. And the judge is like, dude, come on. Let's listen to that exchange. Unless the foundation can be set. I, mean, I haven't heard anything that would establish a foundation. I've have have no, no cited, Your Honor. We had a 37-page report produced a long, long time ago. There was a motion deadline that we uh, respected months ago. Yet they just got Fong's testimony chopped up right before Fong testified after they did her video depot, which I thought was interesting, they had to go back and recut it. So that's pretty similar. Dana, I agree. It's my favorite line too. I wish they would tell them to sit down a little quicker sometimes. The, these issues were ordered, were argued 45 days ago. And then immediately before our witness is going to take the stand with this 37 page report, we get essentially a midnight filing and that guts half of his opinions. I, I don't think it's fair, your honor. I can't even read the darn thing. I'm just focused on getting my witnesses ready. Uh, the untimeliness is very prejudicial to us, Your Honor, because we can't properly brief this in days. Okay. I've already ruled that the that the initial motion was timely, and, and I made a ruling on the initial motion. The subsequent motion was not untimely. The court has agreed to reconsider the motion, and that's what I've done. And I, I don't feel that it's unfair or unduly prejudicial. You were aware of the issues with his report uh, long ago. But, but you ruled in our favor. Before
The judge is like, nah, bro. For what I ruled was that the that the initial motion didn't give the court enough to grant it because they and so there was a motion briefed it. and there was a motion to reconsider that gave the court more information and I can see that it would be I mean you can't poorly brief a motion I mean, this would create an appealable issue do you want to do that for your client is my question no but I don't I don't want to they poorly brief something the judge denies it then right before the testimony they better brief it and now we lose I mean that's what trial is this is trial that's literally how it works all the time. That's what a motion for reconsideration is. I have something in my water now, so I'm probably just going to drink it. Looks like a piece of paper, but whatever. Well, we power through. Um, yes, yes, I love this, Holly Berry. You can't double stamp a triple stamp. You can't double stamp a triple stamp. The judge is like, yeah, that's how it works. That's what the law is. And if they mess something up and they come back and it's actually the right thing in the interest of justice, by the way, if you think I'm wrong, add it to the appeal if you lose. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Or I think the judge, does the judge say anything else? Things happen. Um, the, the points that were raised in the motion are valid points. They're sound. They're based soundly on the law. And I, and I want to make sure that what the jury hears is sound. He's and right. not subject to any more risk of appeal than possible. So we'll take five before the jury comes back. It's like, we're trying to make the right calls here. We're trying to administer justice. And that's what this judge did. It's like, thank you. Thank you. Let's make sure it's a fair trial. And if, if it's something that shouldn't come into trial, just because they had to file a motion for reconsideration doesn't mean now it should come in. Come on. Carla, absolutely you have a right to rely on a prior ruling. But guess what? New information, new briefs, new arguments, the judge can change his ruling. It literally happens all the time. We see some judges reserve ruling. We see something that's a motion in limine, and then the judge says the door is open and now it comes in. Stuff literally changes all the time in trial. And we know that. And guess what? If the judge is wrong, it will absolutely be an appealable issue. Okay, so I am going to put this comment on the screen by Vicky. A lot of people have been saying this, and we've been talking about this. And I thought it was going to be something that's difficult for the plaintiff to overcome. And I think that the plaintiffs did not do a great job in calling anybody to get over the inherent risk. And just everybody's kind of out there. But the defense called a ski expert, and this is what he said. And I think this hits on this point better than anything the plaintiff has presented. It's a lot of accidents and a lot of collisions. In those collisions? Over a long period of time. Sorry. Sorry. Hey, I just wanted to make sure. Yes. Nobody will think skiing is safe anymore. <laughs> yeah. So um, when you've done um, those evaluations, uh, what is your role? What are you trying to accomplish as you evaluate those accidents? Well, sometimes we need to find... The cause. What are you trying to accomplish? We want to know the cause. And certainly that's how you can target prevention. But we also want to learn circumstances. Sometimes we have really bad injuries in these collisions. And it's important for us to make sure we know, is there somebody at fault or people meeting the responsibilities? And so we're looking at that all the time. And Sometimes there are very serious injuries. Okay? And I'm going to back it up and play it again in case you didn't catch it. Sometimes there are very serious injuries and we need to determine who is at fault. Let's listen to it again important for prevention but we also want to learn circumstances sometimes we have really bad injuries in these collisions and it's important for us to make sure we know is there somebody at fault or people meeting the responsibilities and so we're if i would literally play this in my closing if i'm the plaintiff they want to talk about inherent risk they want to act like you know um oh kellyanne is a new subscriber from bend oregon great golf there uh they, it's inherent risk. Listen, you go out there, sometimes you're going to get hurt. People crash into each other. We heard everybody talk about how people crash into each other. Big deal. It happens sometimes. 
But the defense's own expert says sometimes there are really, really serious injuries like four broken ribs and a brain injury. Now, I've already told you, I think he's exaggerating on the brain injury stuff and the concussion stuff, which may come back to bite him. But this is the theory. This is their case. This is what they're going with. Very serious injuries happen, and we have to determine who's at fault. Are people abiding by their responsibilities? And I know that this guy's going to say Gwyneth was doing her job and doing everything right, and Terry wasn't, but that can be flipped, as we'll see on cross. But let's listen to him dig in a little bit more. We're looking at that all the time, and part of that is we want to make sure, since we're all responsible as seers, that includes the seers, me, you, if you're seers, that we share safety and we all do it together and we all have responsibilities. And if So while we're skiing and we're sharing ski areas, we all have responsibilities. To me, this literally throws out the jury instructions we're going to hear later about inherent risk. Everything that uh, Christensen read that was on the back of the ski ticket, he is confirming regardless of inherent risk, everybody out there skiing has a responsibility to be safe. And if they're not, serious injuries can happen. I make this guy my witness if I'm the plaintiff's attorney. One of us is not doing our job. People get hurt. And so we need to evaluate fault at times. And we may address some people that we actually remove from the mountain. Uh, we've had people go in cop cars uh, off the mountain. But uh, you know, we're serious about it. We want our skiers to know that we're serious about it. And they feel okay bringing their kids there that we're not just turning a blind eye. Okay. So let me answer a few questions here to, to slow it down. But it was his fault. No serious injury here. How does this help the plaintiff? Okay. Let me explain. I realize you all may have made up your mind. I don't think the entirety of this jury has necessarily made up their mind yet. And the plaintiff's lawyer, regardless of people like us or on the jury have already made up their mind, they still have to make arguments. So I'm trying to explain the argument I would make if I was the plaintiff's lawyer. And, and by the way, when experts say something that you're trying to prove, regardless if they're trying to use it to prove your clients at fault, if a jury is with you and if a jury believes Terry Sanderson, they're going to be like, you're right. This guy said, regardless of inherent risk, everybody has a responsibility. I think that Gwyneth Paltrow was the one that hit Terry. Therefore, she must not have been doing her duty. Because without this guy's testimony, I think the defense could be like, yeah, maybe Gwyneth Paltrow ran into him. Maybe she ran it, he ran into her. She ran into him. But it's an inherent risk of being out there. This guy, to me, removes that. He removes that this incident was part of an inherent risk of skiing. That's why I think it could be good for the plaintiff. Now, if people have already made up their mind, it's over. It doesn't matter. But I'm just trying to explain to you how I think a plaintiff's lawyer should use this argument in closing. So in your evaluation of these various collisions, what have you learned about what the inherent risks of skiing are? Well, certainly skiers face a variety of inherent risks, and those are often codified into uh, especially in states that have a lot of skiing in them, like Utah or Washington State or California, you know, there's there's what they call like a sea safety statute in uh, in the regs, and so uh, it will mention many times it'll enumerate what some of those inherent risks are. Another place you can find those inherent risks are on trail signs are mandatory here in Utah, and that, that they're publicly displayed, but also the ticket back sometimes that varies from place to place. But um, do you want me to list uh, any of the inherent risks? Sure. Yeah, just to educate the jury, given your experience. So he goes into them, and again, it's clear to me. That even with the inherent risks, everybody has responsibilities. And if they don't do their duty, people get hurt. And sometimes those injuries are very serious. And of course, he says, Paltrow was skiing appropriately. Um, he said that the prior defense witness was so great 
And we had a lot of discussion about what he was not going to testify about, what was not appropriate for him to testify about. And that was the animations. And what happens? He says he worked with the prior witness on the animations, objection, sustained. This happened too much today from the defense. Too much for me to be like, oh, it must have been an accident. They went into areas they knew they should not have multiple times, objections, sustained, struck. And we'll talk about more later. So let's get more into the duty to use reasonable care that he was describing here. All right. Thank you. Mr. Egan, you may continue. Thank you, Your Honor. All right, Mr. Bonner, we just have a few more questions and then we'll get you off the stand here. Um, first, uh, is it your opinion that both Mr. Sanderson and Ms. Paltrow had the responsibility to exercise reasonable care to avoid a collision with each other on the day of their accident? Yes, that's correct. And if, so you've and just you're proven duty for both sides. Familiar with Ms. Paltrow's account of that collision, correct? Yes, I am. Have you heard her testimony, in the trial testimony that she gave to this jury? I have. And you also reviewed her deposition? Yes. And uh, if you assume that her account is correct, um, is it your opinion that she did comply with the standard of care or the, the reasonable standard that you, you just said that was her duty? Yes. And if you assume her account was correct, did Mr. Sanderson comply with that duty? No. And um, Wow, what shocking testimony there. If Gwyneth Paltrow's version is correct, did she do her duty? Yes. Did Sanderson? No. Ooh. Let's see if that gets flipped later. But one thing I did think he did a good job on um, was right before the end of his cross where he says, he gets asked the question, um, I'll play it. I'll play the end of his cross, or sorry, I'll play the end of his direct and the entirety of his cross, but he asks the question or he gets asked the question, sometimes the evidence doesn't allow us to determine fault because there are multiple plausible explanations. And that's good because what he's saying is in this situation, there were not multiple plausible explanations. There was only one plausible explanation. It looks like it would meet the industry standard of care. It would be very similar to all the series that I visited and, and know I'm familiar with their record keeping and so forth. These are typical business records kept in the course of business. In your experience, thoroughly investigating over, I think you said 500 ski collisions, do you sometimes conclude that the evidence does not allow you to determine who is at fault? All the time. Yeah. You, sometimes you just don't have enough information. Sometimes you have conflicting information and you just, you know, there's plausible versions and you can't, you can't know which one's right. And you just have to realize that you're not going to be able to determine fault. So that's, that's common enough. Okay, that's all my questions. Thanks. Thanks. Ms. Van Orman. That to me is important. That's, that's really important because that's telling the jury, this was not one of those situations, but this guy's testimony is easily flipped as we're about to see in a very quick cross. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm going to be really, really quick with you. In fact, we're just going to do the opposite of what you just testified to. So you were just asked if Ms. Paltrow's version of the accident, assuming that was true, would Mr. Sanderson have violated the skier's responsibility code? We're going to flip that. You've heard Mr. Sanderson and Mr. Ramon's version of the accident. Assuming those were true, they would have complied with the skier's responsibility code, correct? Correct. And Ms. Paltrow would have violated the, the skier's responsibility code. That's correct. All right. And in fact, the skier's responsibility code, it applies to all skiers they all have to follow it, right? That's correct. No matter if somebody has a disability in their eye or if they're turning to look at their children to watch them ski. All skiers have that responsibility at all times. That's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Boom. There she goes. Again, setting it up for 
regardless of how good these experts are, you have to choose whose version you believe. And that's it. You have to choose whose version you believe. Paltrow or Sanderson? All right. The next witness. Here we go. I think it's Edgley. I think that's Edgy or Edgley is the doctor, the good doctor, who the first time he said it, I was like, did he say he took a year off because of a stroke and had a brain injury himself? And the answer was yes. This brain injury expert had a brain injury himself. And many of you said, well, do you think Owens just pulled this so that the jury would see and hear what it actually looks like to have a brain injury to prove that Terry Sanderson did not? I think the answer is, I hope not, because I think that's a little disrespectful to him. And to say that, I know they did say that it helps him understand what people are going through, but the, the problem with that is he had a specific stroke and a specific kind of brain injury that could be very different than head trauma or concussions or things like that. So, and that's also the problem with, if you're trying to present him like that, people are saying it's a brilliant move. The problem with the jury making that um, inference is not all brain injuries are the same. Not all brain injuries um, look alike and affect people the same way. So that was the problem with that. But all that being said, holy cow. Just imagine what this guy overcame to get here. So many people quit and stop for so much less. I mean, to have a guy like this, it shows a certain kind of intestinal fortitude and grit and perseverance to get where he has gotten. And, and I think he said he got this, he had the stroke like in medical school. Wild, wild to me. Very, very, very impressive guy. Um, all right. Most important thing to him was how long was he unconscious and how long did they lose memory? Some people said loss of conscious. Others said no plaintiff kept changing how long he was unconscious and telling people no loss of consciousness and no post incident amnesia can't have a concussion, but lots of people and experts say he did have lots of uh, loss of consciousness and amnesia. So he has to disregard at least some testimony to come to that conclusion. He did say it is a low or it was a low velocity impact. Again, depending on whose story you believe. Right after he said no concussion, he said, well, if there was a concussion, then it was mild. So I didn't feel like he stood very strong on no concussion. And later he kind of agreed that maybe he did have a mild concussion. Plaintiff had a number of brain conditions like stroke, microvascular disease, hydrocephalus. And then it begins the issue I have with this testimony. And we're going to take a few minutes to discuss this because a lot of you had questions. A lot of you had comments on Twitter in this chat. And so we're going to get to it here. First, concussions should only last from one to three months. Okay. Some people are, are familiar with this. Some people are not familiar with this. Do you know what every single defense doctor says? A person with a neck injury from this kind of car accident or this slip and fall case 
or this premises liability case, do you know how much treatment they say that they should have based on the injury? One to three months of treatment, of physical therapy, one MRI. It's almost like they copy and paste it. It is the most common timing that every defense doctor says a plaintiff should have based on their injuries in a litigation case. So I wasn't the least bit surprised that that's where he went. And he's totally wrong. Concussions should not last a certain amount of time. They either do or they don't, depending on the person. And that's something I would have hammered in in cross. You're talking about research, right? But every individual person is different. And it's not like if it does last more, it's doing something it shouldn't do. It just is a more severe case, right? And it can happen, right? If it lasts longer, just to kind of drive home what he's trying to say about the three months, if it lasts longer, it's usually for monetary gains in litigation. Objection, sustained, strike that answer, total Bush League move by the defense. That is irrelevant. That is untrue. That is, to me, from that moment on with this witness, is a biased defense witness. I I think he's a great guy. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. He's a brilliant guy. He's overcome more than I'll ever have to overcome in my life. But he showed where his bread is buttered with that answer to me. And he put that answer in that the judge then struck. He says this plaintiff goes to the doctor at an unusually high rate. Okay. People are saying you misunderstood what he said. Okay. Okay. I I I think I could say thousands, but maybe I'll just say hundreds, two thousands of doctors that I've deposed, and they all say the same thing. They do, they will never agree you have a permanent injury. And the three-month timeline is always what they say. Now, sure, people are saying, well, it's not considered a concussion. Fine, whatever. You totally misunderstood. Okay, we can agree to disagree on what this doctor was trying to do. But what he was trying to do is say, this was a, a not a permanent injury that should have been gone in three months, but this guy wanted to, to go to the doctor because he's litigious and he wants to get money and that's the only reason he treated. If you disagree with me, you're entitled to your opinion. I, I, that's what I think. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood and that's fine. And you guys, you guys are entitled to your opinion. But let's get into some more of what he testified to because many of you also thought that all of the medical conditions this guy was testifying to were totally relevant to this case. And so we are going to go into those now. Let me pull them up. And we're going to have to go to two different spots because it was, in fact, two full pages of medical conditions that Terry Sanderson had. And I hope that you can read these. And we're going to put up a poll. John, I sent you a poll to put up. 
that I want you all to answer about these um, pre-existing conditions. And again, you guys are entitled to your opinions. And let me know what you think when you see this stuff, because I think you're going to prove my point. So let's talk about Terry Sanderson's health before the incident. That is the title of the slide produced by the defense. Here we go. First, thinks he's gotten old all of a sudden, not doing things he used to. Do I think they exaggerate that and try to make it say something that maybe it doesn't say? Sure, but that's fair game. That's fair game. I think that's absolutely relevant to this case. Number two, Mr. Sanderson is blind in his right eye and severely impaired in the other. Exaggerating again, but, and again, I can't believe they let this be put in front of the jury. I would argue there's argument all throughout this, but whatever. He routinely walks into walls, argument and exaggeration. He would ask people standing on the right side of his field of vision to move so he could see them. One of the reasons he retired is because he had a stroke event that deprived his eye of oxygen, impacting his vision, which they make to seem like it's a huge brain injury, but it was a stroke in his eye. But regardless, he adjusted his skiing. He had to be picky about what day he skis to avoid certain lighting. Guess what? This may surprise you. Oh, John screwed up the poll. It's supposed to say rib, not Rob. Can you do that? Can you redo the poll, John? Pull it down and redo it. Okay. So <laughs> this may surprise you, but number two and everything in it, A, B, C, D, and E, I think is totally fair game and relevant to this case. Absolutely. I think that's fair game. I think they should be able to argue all of that. Let's get to number three, prostate cancer. And he still has it, doesn't he? That's what Owen said. Can you explain to me, somebody in the chat, we are on number three of 26. Number three. This isn't number 25 that they just tacked on at the end. Number three. John is my best friend, just in case anybody doesn't know that. So when I say that to John, it's all in love. Um, Number three, prostate cancer. Why does this jury need to know that Terry Sanderson had or has prostate cancer? This is what it's like to be a plaintiff in a PI case. They dig through everything and they throw it up on a screen so the jury may think, this guy's already broken, this guy's already old. Who cared? Did it really hurt him that much? Next, he is severely hearing impaired, has difficulty hearing higher frequencies. sounds like a woman's voice. Hearing loss is severe. So this is one that's a gray area and questionable to me. So hearing troubles, could that affect you on the slopes? Sure. It's number one. But number two, did he have his hearing aids in? Because if he had his hearing aids in, this is a nothing burger and shouldn't come in. I don't remember if I've heard that or not. I know we heard some talk about he didn't wasn't wearing his glasses. But number two, or, or number two with the hearing issue, are deaf people not allowed to ski? Because I'm pretty sure they are. So even if he was completely deaf, I don't think that precludes him from skiing. I could be wrong on that. But I think he had his hearing aids in anyways. I hear Susan saying hearing is important. I agree with you. All of your senses are important. But I don't think that they don't allow. I don't think that deaf people are not allowed to ski. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. 
But again, if you want to see that this is, is relevant, okay. Next, it's people saying you're so biased towards the plaintiff. It's like, I don't think the plaintiff's even really going to win this case. But that doesn't mean you should put all of his medical history up there to try to make it seem like it doesn't matter if he got hurt. Because that's what you're really arguing. Next, number five, heart palpitations. So this is what can happen. If at any point in your life, you have heart palpitations, now it's unsafe for you to ski, or if you break your ribs, it doesn't matter, or if you have a head injury, it doesn't matter. Sorry, no shot. No shot that heart palpitations should come in. Give me a break. Next, six. He's 76 years old and experiencing the effects of aging. So there's going to be a couple things we talk about in this case that, God forbid, you're 60 or 65 or 70 or 75 years old and somebody hurts you. God forbid. Because the defense will make it seem like it doesn't matter because you're old and dying anyways. And people can say, well, he said everything changed from before to after. Fine. Fine. Did he exaggerate? Sure. Fair game to argue. But to say that it can't be different, and and listen, is it different for Terry Sanderson? I think they've got some good arguments to say that it's not that different. And we're going to get to some of them. But to say that you can't get old and still feel the effects of an injury pisses me off because old people still feel pain. They still have some good years ahead of them. He, I mean, again, this goes against Terry Sanderson. He looks pretty okay. He looks like he can still hang out with his daughters and his grandkids and whatever. Like physically, he looks okay to me, which again, is not good for his case. But you're telling me this guy's like on his deathbed? So he couldn't possibly be injured to a way that affects his life because he's old and aging? Sorry, never going to convince me of that. Next, microvascular disease, CT of head, fine. They didn't really explain to me how that's relevant, but at least it's a head injury. Sure, I'll allow it in if I'm the judge, which I'm not. Moderate diffuse volume loss, atrophy, brain volume decreasing and MRI finding. Okay, we heard nothing really about that either, but fine, that can come in. Retinal artery uh, occlusion and mixed calcific and fibrofatty plaque clogging in arteries, delivering blood to the brain, CT of neck. Sure, let it in. Depression, absolutely let it in if he has a history of depression. That's absolutely relevant. And then you can't see because my uh, timeline is there. Migraines, absolutely. Let it in. Let it in. The dude's claiming it. Sure. But this is just page one. Let's get to page two here. Because I'll tell you right now, if you think that he only put up the relevant stuff, you're wrong. I shouldn't say you're wrong. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. I would disagree. I think Mr. Owens put up as many things as he possibly could because he wanted to say to other witnesses did you know about the 26 health issues that Terry Sanderson had before this innocent incident? 26. 
So let's get to the next chunk. And these are my favorite. And this is where I did a little independent research. All right. Back slash spine problems. Degenerative disc disease. Injuries. Foot drop. Weakness. Loss of sensation. Pain. Okay, we're just going to stick to number 12 right now. Okay? Guess what? He said osteoarthritis during trial, and that's the reason he said, oh, he can't turn his neck without pain. And all of you, again, totally reckless. He absolutely should not have been, um, should not have been on the ski slopes because the osteoarthritis. Well, guess what? Uh, Owens didn't even think osteoarthritis was enough to, or was important enough to put it in this list along with everything else. So back and spine problems. Let's even say the osteoarthritis, even though it's not necessarily in here. Let's talk about what this is. Here are other things that defense experts and spine experts say in every single case. Okay, and here's the point. This is exactly the point. Should all of this stuff come in, basically, all these medical issues, 68% of you said yes, and 32% said no. All those health problems, and he skis still, uh, Sean just said. All these health, health problems, and he skis still. Well, Sean, this is the research I did. I talked to a board-certified Ivy League-trained orthopedic spine surgeon. I talked to an emergency room doctor, and I talked to a VA doctor. Because in case you didn't know, most, if not all of these, came from the thousands of pages of VA records. Basically, it looks like he used them like his primary care physician. They all said the same exact thing. And by the way, only one of them has ever been an expert, and he's been an expert for the plaintiff and the defense in trials. The other two had not ever been experts um, and don't testify and don't have anything to do with the medical legal world because I wanted to get opinions kind of all over the place. They all said that this would absolutely not inhibit somebody from skiing. Now, when you had severe neck pain or back pain, sure, you shouldn't ski that day. When you have foot drop, sure, you shouldn't ski that day. But just because you have back pain, just because you have degenerative disc disease, which defense doctors say my 16-year-old client that got in a car accident has degenerative disc disease. So like literally everybody on the planet, you can find a doctor to say you have de degenerative disc disease. And osteoarthritis, the orthopedic surgeon said, orthopedic spine specialized surgeon says, every single person in their 60s and 70s has osteoarthritis. So if we think that this guy, because in some VA note, says he has osteoarthritis, means he should never ski, then nobody that's 60 or 70 years old should ski. And I don't think any of us agree with that. So to me, the purpose of putting in the back and spine and foot drop and weakness and all of this pain is so that people... This is interesting is so that people will do exactly what the majority of the chat is doing. 
saying it should come in and trying to figure out how this proves Terry Sanderson should not have been skiing that day. And Pamela, everyone can do whatever they want with many conditions, but should they? Well, Pamela, I would say, because guess what? My hand has hurt before and I've gone to the doctor and been like, hey, my hand hurts. That doesn't mean I'm never going to play football again or I'm never going to play golf again. Because just because it's in a record one time doesn't mean that it's going to hurt for the rest of my life, especially in a VA record, which I'm not going to give you the quote of what the VA doctor told me about what he thinks about those VA records. But I will just say, they are not always always accurate, and sometimes they leave repetitive things in and just never fix and just allow it to continue to autofill regardless of if the person actually comes back and says, yes, I still have foot drop or I still have back pain or I still have neck pain. And again, knee injury. While your knee injury is active and after surgery maybe or during PT, should you be skiing? No. But what about when you don't have a knee pa- any knee pain anymore? Then we have a shoulder injury. Then we have a hamstring injury. Literally, we're talking about a hamstring injury osteoarthritis in the wrist. But before they were talking about it in the neck, I'm wondering if it's even in the records that he has osteoarthritis in his neck. Mistakes have been made before and here it only says of the wrist, but they said neck from the stand and how he couldn't turn his neck without being in pain, but they didn't put that record in. We didn't see the record where he actually said he couldn't turn his neck because of the pain. If I'm the plaintiff, I would have gone through these records been like, Shoulder injury, that was 1999, right? Right. Hamstring injury, that was 2004, right? I'm making up these dates. I don't know when they actually were. But talk about whether or not these are actually relevant. Trigger finger. Explain to me what that has to do with a concussion or with ribs breaking. So Angie here, Peter, I got the whole reason for the history to come in was to show much of his current problems were already beginning or persistent and not caused from this particular ski injury. Okay, if this was how they were coming in and this is how they were relevant, when did he ever complain or say that his knee or shoulder or spine or neck or trigger finger or hamstring was ever caused by this accident or that he couldn't use those parts of his body post-accident. Now, again, we get to depression. I thought we already had depression, but we get to depression. Absolutely, that should come in that he has a history of depression. Absolutely, no doubt about it. That's relevant. But all this other stuff makes no sense. I think we eventually see the rest of this list. Here we go. Uh, We stopped at depression. Insomnia, fine, fair. That should come in. Respiratory problems. Why should that come in? Poor male sex reproductive health, erectile dysfunction, and impotence. Now, again, it's really great to be a plaintiff in a PI case sometimes with defense attorneys that are really going to dig in 
and make you feel bad about yourself and try to embarrass you in front of the uh, jury. People are saying depression is listed twice. Shocker. Um, why should insomnia come in? So listen, again, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. And insomnia could be a head issue. Um, that could be something that a brain injury would affect insomnia. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it in other records. So I would, I would give some leeway there, but lower urinary tract issues. So he's got impotence issues and urinary tract infections. Come on. Kidney problems, a lipid disorder, weight gain, sure, if he complained about that, restless legs. I didn't even know that was a real thing. I've had people in my life tell me they have that. I didn't know that was even a real thing. Can I change my poll vote, Dale Morton said. Yes. Did he have a hangnail to a rash? So you're kind of getting where I'm coming from. There could have been, and here's the point. If I'm Owens and you're doing the right thing by this client, by this plaintiff, I'm bringing in 10 of these depression, headaches, migraines, brain injuries, uh, uh, blind or loss of vision, you know, whatever, walking into walls. Sure. I'm bringing in all that stuff, but all this other stuff to me is just, it shows some true colors. And then on the flip side, I would say, I wonder if the plaintiff's because Gwyneth Paltrow technically did make a counterclaim, and now we're starting to, or at least I'm starting to piece together, restless legs are very real. I didn't mean anything against that. Absolutely, they could be real. I don't think they have anything to do with this case. Um, but the defense could have, if Gwyneth was actually claiming a knee injury, which they're like, no, she didn't actually make a claim for the knee injury, because if they did, then they'd be able to dig into some of her medical records, and maybe they would have been able to make a similar list. But that's why it was just $1 for the half day that she missed skiing. Oh, wait. All right. I get it. Restless legs is real. I hear you. I hear you. I didn't know that, but I learned something new every day. <clears throat> All right. Um, you didn't meet with Terry Sanderson? No. Again, he tried to do the, you know, get the blow off, get the, get the, you know, what they're going to say against me and cross out. Um, no, but the VA doctors did. He says, you charge $500 to review 700 testimony. Uh, and he said, I don't do this for the money. I have to miss my practice. That's fine. I just think it's interesting when an expert says, I don't do this for the money. It's true. I think all experts come and it's part of their job. I think they do do it for the money, but I think everybody does every job for the money, not just for the money. But if you didn't want the money, you don't have to take it. But again, that's fine. Then... Um, he didn't meet with Terry Sanderson. Uh, it was a weird kind of, you didn't look through some of this stuff. You didn't rely on some of this stuff, uh, for your opinions. You don't need loss of consciousness for a concussion. NPH can exacerbate a concussion stroke like event. We kind of went through that again. Um, and then on redirect, did any of your opinions change? No, but then we got on redirect again. Please reset the poll, Jen Joe said. John, why don't we reset it one more time and see if anything's changed? It was 68 to 32 before. Okay, so my buddy Dominic, who is also a uh, big-time PI lawyer here in Tampa, I said also, he's a big-time PI lawyer um, in Tampa. 
he also said, and, and Dominic, the reason I didn't bring this up initially is because I haven't seen any mortality tables. I haven't seen any life expectancy. I haven't seen any arguments like that. I haven't seen a life care plan. So I don't know if they're going to argue anything in the futures as far as medical bills. But if they were going to try to argue this stuff with the mortality tables, and what that is, if you're not um, familiar with it, is it kind of shows how long somebody's supposed to live. And a lot of times defense attorneys try to bring in this stuff. That's 17 minutes ago, John. Maybe reset it just one more time if you can. Um, is mortality tables take into account people with all of these conditions. They don't just take into account healthy people or sick people. They take into account both and everybody. All right. Okay, then on redirect, he says, because of the media attention of this case and that this is the first televised trial in Utah... A lot of money is at play, and that is affecting Mr. Sanderson and what he's saying. Yikes. Is this guy a doctor? Or is he like a, I, I don't know, a, 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 is he like a psychic or maybe like a body language expert or something? Or like, how does he know this? How can he possibly testify that that means every case that's worth a lot of money, the plaintiff must be lying because. If it's worth a lot of money, it's going to affect them. And how's it going to affect them? It's going to make them lie or embellish. People said, I agree. That's true. Okay. And it may be true in this case. It may be true, but I don't think he can testify to it. Let's put it that way. You're right. It may absolutely be true. I just don't think this guy should be able to testify to that. It's a good point. Thank you, chat. I think it's possible that he's a doctor. I agree. I get that he's a doctor. Doctors can't testify to stuff like that. Usually. All right. Then after this, I thought it was interesting. Owens is like, hey, judge, how strict are you going to be for four hours for each of us? I was like, is this the same guy that's been complaining about having to move witnesses around and how the case wasn't, um, they didn't close their case in chief or end their case in chief <coughs> um, uh, when they were supposed to? And now he's saying, eh, eh, I think, I think maybe we shouldn't be so strict. The judge is like, no, I'm going to be very strict, very strict. Next witness is Carrie Oaks by Depo. And I thought this was interesting. I thought she was potentially, potentially the most down the middle independent type witness. Deer Valley ski instructor. She was relieved everyone was safe. Moses and Apple wanted mom to watch them. So that's why they were skiing together and to get down for lunch. So it seemed almost like the whole reason they were getting on that slope was for Gwyneth Paltrow to watch them. I don't think that's so like unreasonable to think that she wanted to watch them. Uh, mommy, watch me. That quote came from Carrie Oaks. She didn't do an incident report because nobody was hurt. And again, she's giving points to both sides because I think she's just telling how she re recalled it. Uh, nobody was in front of Gwyneth Paltrow. She saw this and Gwyneth Paltrow was not looking all around at her children. She was looking at what was in front of her. So overall good for Gwyneth Paltrow, but I felt like she was a very honest witness. And I do feel like the fact witnesses, the liability witnesses are starting to sway me a little bit more toward Gwyneth Paltrow's side. If Terry Sanderson was going to win, there's no way I'd give him anywhere near $3 million. We'll talk a little bit more about how we would come down, where we would come down and what the verdict would be when uh, maybe after closing arguments before the verdict comes out. Next witness is going to be Sanderson cross continued. Just kidding. No, it's not. He said that. 
But then, ooh, interesting. The plaintiff is only asking for non-economic damages. So I'll answer this question real quick. So that means they're not asking for any medical bills. And that makes sense since, in fact, he goes to the VA, so everything's paid for anyways. So all of this is for pain and suffering and loss of enjoyment of life. So that's what all of these damages are for. Very interesting. So non-economic damages is just that. Pain and suffering, loss of enjoyment of life. No, so economic damages are medical bills in the past, medical bills in the future, lost wages in the past, lost wages in the future, lost capacity of uh, to earn income in the future. So he's not asking for any of those. Interesting. Very interesting. We are going to do a damages poll, but not yet. Not yet. All right. Uh, next. Oh, so the party stipulated that Gwyneth Paltrow's husband would say if he was called that he did not see the accident. And do you like how Owens is always like, I'm going to cross Terry more now. Actually, no, I'm not. We're going to put on Gwyneth Paltrow's husband. Actually, we're not. We're going to do it by depot, but we still may call him. Now we're going to read the kids. So first it's Moses. He didn't see the collision. Don't know where he was. Didn't hear a noise, but he saw a man behind his mom and he was coming from uphill. He's not sure of much, but he's sure Terry Sanderson was behind Gwyneth Paltrow. And he said, I don't remember a lot. My guess, my guess is the plaintiff wanted to put that in. He is who said they discussed the crash at lunch, which I thought was an important part that I would file away if I'm the plaintiff's attorney for closing argument. Uh, never said, hey, watch me ski. Eric was absolutely calm. He was sure Eric is so great. Next is Apple Martin. This was pretty much a nothing burger, but she said Eric was the best and he gave us candy, which Eric said he did not give them candy. Then another inappropriate thing by Owens that I believe was later struck by the judge is he says to the jury with no questions pending, nothing's going on, jury there listening, hey, judge, uh, Apple, Moses, and uh, the husband were ready and willing to show up and testify Monday morning and it was an objection and the judge is like, let's do this outside the presence of the jury. No, you're not going to say that to the jury because that was your decision. You could have called them and you still can call them. So they weren't ready and willing to show up at any time. They were only available for certain times, which is fine. You're allowed to read the deposition in. But these little things he's trying to do with the jury are just so inappropriate, in my opinion. It would be so annoying. Then we get to the jury uh, instruction questions and somebody asked me about this, so I'll play a little bit of it. It's getting to closing time here, but let's just hear a little bit of their discussion about this cross-examination and what's going to happen in resting their case. The wrongful act or failure to act alleged in this case is negligence. Uh, We think just the generic negligence is used in all sorts of things from skiing to autos. Yeah, you've got that in your brief, in your your objection. This will help me... Um, well, this, this goes to a little bit of trial strategy. Is plaintiff resting? This will help me argue this very issue. Uh, they haven't rested yet because you haven't finished your cross of their client. So, um, sorry if I don't know this, but if I say I'm done with my cross, I'm going to call Terry in my case. I can still use leading questions, may I? Not, may I? Sure, he's an adverse party. Yes. Absolutely. So, yes. so, if I agree to give up my cross of Terry, they, they are agreeing to rest first thing in the morning. Uh, this is not what we're this is arguing about right here. We're talking about jury instruction. I, I actually, this affects my, first of all, I'm entitled to know if they're resting. We're, the judge ruled, your honor ruled that we, we would know each day's lineup the following day. I think they, they benefit from just having this open case because oh, it's just this one other witness. And then it's no, now it's two, now it's three. And uh, I want them to rest. 
Well, if, you, if you'll decide whether you're I, done questioning Mr. Sanderson. I hereby decide. Pardon? I hereby decide that I am okay. done. So do you have any more evidence to put on? Oh, we don't. We weren't. Prepared. I hereby decide that I'm done. But he clearly asked if I call in my case in chief, can I ask direct or leading questions? And the judge said yes. So I think Owens plans to maybe call Terry later. But then the plaintiff goes out and the lawyer comes in and says, I just want to confirm that that he's not going to question Terry again. Okay, then we rest. But I think there was some confusion. I think Owens thinks he can call Terry Sanderson again. I do. But it was kind of confusing how they kind of all talked about that. So then Owens also says he doesn't want them to be able to argue that, you know, he said this link is so important and then it turned out to be a nothing burger. It's like, well, then maybe don't say that. Maybe don't pretend like just the one piece of evidence you don't have is the one that would be the most important for you. But he can't help himself. They've got a lot of good evidence in this case. I think they should win this case. So for him to say that that link was the most important evidence was not a good strategy. And it blew up in his face when they found out what the link was and he was wrong. He did say it without, at that point, he knew he did not know what was on that link. But he wanted to make the jury believe something else was on that link. But guess what? He wants to do it again now with the GoPro video. And so see, no, Owen said he's not calling Terry again. Then why did he ask the judge if he finishes his cross, can he ask leading questions on direct in his case in chief? And the judge said, yes. Then he said, fine, I'm done questioning him for now. I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope this does not become an issue in the future. I hope it does not become an issue in the future. Um, okay. So then we get to the GoPro and this I thought was really interesting. I don't know if there's something I don't know because I trust this judge and this judge is going to allow a spoilation jury instruction and for the defense to argue that the jury can make a negative inference on this GoPro that the plaintiff may have at one point had GoPro video and deleted it. Ho That's very bad for Terry Sanderson. And I think that if they give this instruction and the defense argues this, it's going to be bad for Terry Sanderson. I don't think it's going real well for Terry Sanderson. In case you can't tell, and a lot of you can't just because of my discussion of prior medical records being totally irrelevant and horrible that they do this to people, that doesn't mean I think Terry Sanderson is going to win or that he was injured in this crash, that he was not at fault. But oh boy, we're going to get some arguments about that GoPro. Very, very interesting. So listen, if you guys disagreed with me, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to get to your comments and questions now. I appreciate there's no GoPro footage. Well, it doesn't seem like the judge fully believes that. He thinks there may have been at some point. But I appreciate you guys sticking around, talking through this stuff. Hopefully it didn't get too wild in the chat. I don't like to go so hard all the time, but some of the stuff really frustrates me that happens to people that, like, this, and here's the point. Regardless of what you think about Terry Sanderson, when somebody is absolutely not at fault for something, they still do the same thing. They still make the same arguments. Even sometimes when they admit liability, they make these same arguments. They admit they screwed up. And it is important. Damages are important because if you're not doing anything wrong and somebody oops-a-daisy accidentally does something and they cause damage, they should have to pay for that. You shouldn't have to. It's like somebody knocking over my chair and breaking it. One of us is going to have to pay for it. Who should pay for it? Now, for my chair, I'd pay for it. But for $3 million in damages, you should pay for it. 
Oh, okay. I'm just getting there. All right. So hit that like button if you haven't already. This has been interesting. I thought it was a really interesting day. Some of you thought it was boring. Subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, we almost got to 10,000 likes on last night's video. So let's see if we can get to 10,000 likes on this one. All right. So the new poll says the new poll is almost 50 50. It's 56% say yes. The non head rib prior medical conditions should come in. And 44 say no. I saw a lot of people arguing with how imperfect my poll was. Okay. I apologize that it's hard to take 7,000 people's suggestions on making a poll. I tried to make one that you guys would enjoy and we could learn something from. And I think we did learn something from it. All right. KCD, DV being on GP's side doesn't bother me. If they genuinely believe her story, I agree with you. The question is, are they on her side because she's GP or because the story fits? That's something for the jury to decide, but I agree with you. It doesn't really bother me that uh, they're on her side. John O'Rourke, thoughts of Dr. Edgley. Uh, people are asking if we should redirect to Runkle's channel. Yes, we can do that. We only have about 10 minutes, hopefully here. Then we will redirect to, to Ian. All right. So here we go. Uh, thoughts of Dr. Edgley's bomb about Utah's first televised trial and TS wants attention. I thought this cross worked in GP's favor. Actually, thanks. I think that happened on redirect, but I could be wrong. Penelope, it's impossible for Sanderson to fall forward on his skis and keep his skis on. I tried it with my skis and my boots pop off or I would tear my Achilles. I'm trying to remember, did Christensen say he had to, that his skis were off and he had to put them on or that he took off his skis? I can't remember. But yeah, Sanderson definitely said his skis were still on. Mr. RN, please ballpark what he owes in attorney's fees for this trial. I think it's a contingency case. If it's not a contingency case, it's probably seven figures in attorney's fees. Do you think his attorneys took the case on contingency? I would guess yes. Owen is alienating. KCD, couldn't you just as easily use everyone has responsibilities to say you shouldn't be on the hill if you're blind in one eye and partially deaf? Except that nobody said that. And I think deaf people can ski. And he had skied tons of times and never got into it. He skied tons of times post eye issue. I think he said he's had hearing aids for 40 years. So he skied literally hundreds of times, perfectly fine and never hit anybody according to the evidence. So who's going to choose? Are we going to, am I going to be able to be like, okay, uh, KCD, you can't ski anymore. John O'Reilly, you can ski. Misty, you can't ski. I mean, I don't think that's reasonable. And, and that's the point. I think that's why they're throwing all this against the wall to hope people are like, oh, he must be at fault then. A blind person could still not be at fault if somebody runs into them, right? John O'Reilly. There's been a lot of lawyer testimony allowed in this case. Some lawyer tactics have bordered on the scummy. I agree with you there. Misty. Curious. Everyone knows experts get paid. Do you ask that in court or have you ever heard of or talked to a juror that says it makes a difference? You know what's funny, Misty? It's offensive to us sometimes because some of these experts make so much money. We have talked to jurors. I've never had a single juror say that it bothered them. They're like, yeah, we expect that experts get paid for their time. And it's usually surprising to us. Mo, I think the expert proves that you can have a brain injury and still send text emails, et cetera, et cetera, and be functional. That might not help the defense. It's funny, Mo, that that's how you see it. Because some people told me exactly the opposite, that his speech pattern and stuff makes it look like Terry Sanderson's fine but I like the way you're looking at it too. There's two ways to look at this. In every trial, there's multiple ways to look at most pieces of evidence. Steven, 
is there a standard in lengths of trial, i.e., if the plaintiff takes a week and the defense generally takes half, a rule of thumb, if you will. So in this case, they're giving each side 50-50. I would say in most of my cases that I have, I would say the plaintiff probably uses 75% of the trial time. But there's not usually a counterclaim. So if you have a counterclaim, usually it'll bring it closer to 50-50. Alyssa, they talked about the ski code, inherent risks, etc. The resort's ticket states that they won't be held liable. Is it in the code that a skier can be held personally liable even though both are taking an inherent risk skiing? I don't know when you, when you say in the code, but yes, the answer to this is yes, they can be personally liable. Mo, he routinely walks into walls, but Paltrow's prone to running into things didn't come in. Why? I, I, had, I had an issue with that when they cut off her, you know, clumsy or whatever testimony that they wanted to bring in for her. Bethany, I learned a lot about this process after a car wreck at age 18. I've always wanted to help more people understand what to do, expect, how to get what they're entitled to, et cetera. Thanks for what you do. Bethany, until people actually go through it, they usually hate me for trying to explain it this way and just say like, let's hold on. I'm not saying to throw somebody in jail because they caused a car accident. But if they were not following the rules of the road or were speeding or ran a red light or were texting and driving, like they're making a decision that hurts somebody else. Penelope, prostate cancer is relevant because he is on testosterone blockers, which will absolutely affect mood, emotions, and anger. So it's relevant. My goodness gracious, Penelope, you sound very smart to know how to connect all those dots, but that is not the type of evidence we're supposed to put in, which is exactly right. Many times the medication somebody's taking is blacked out. It is um, redacted. So the jurors cannot look at it and say, oh, I know this has a certain side effect. He should not be driving when he takes this. And they add their own knowledge or expertise to something that nobody in the courtroom believes is even relevant. So that's, I, I you know more than I do about this, but I did not hear um, anybody testify to that fact that that is something that really happened here. And I could have missed it. So you guys, I'm sure will let me know in the chat if somebody did testify to that. Joy Puffle, and that he is still on those or was still on those at the time of the, the ski accident. Joy Puffle. I'm a cardiovascular professional. Everyone has palpitations. Some people just feel them more than others. Not a reason not to ski or do things. That is what all of my medical contacts have said as well. Tina, I don't think everything on the list is relevant. Can they redact before presenting to a jury? Absolutely, but that was something created by defense counsel. That was not a medical record. Michael Sharp, I have PVC. Doctor says it's occasional. Extra beats in the heart, palpitations, common and not a big deal. <coughs> Mo, title says before incident. Yet number six says he's 76, not before incident. Absolutely right. I don't know what the plaintiff's lawyers are doing. Did they look at this before he presented it? There was like 50 things I would have objected to on there. Normie, Sanderson's prior medical history can be linked to current medical issues, pre-existing injuries, medications, et cetera. He opened that door. It's fair game. Agree to disagree. Uh, Roshenda, I thought they were arguing fault, not just whether he was hurt or not. They are. They're arguing both. Paul Barry. The argument is that cognitive decline was happening anyway, and he's trying to blame it on the accident. Trigger finger does not prove cognitive decline. Hamstring injury does not prove cognitive decline. Uh, shoulder injury, neck pain, none of that stuff proves cognitive decline. Keith, or Veith, sorry, Veith. Uh, he's old, so it doesn't matter if he got hurt. Peter, come on. He is suing for $3 million, saying his life is ruined due to an accident. Guess what? A lot of older people, 76 and older, get hurt and it does affect the rest of their life. And a lot of them have prior medical issues as well. Now, you don't have to believe Terry Sanderson, 
but it does happen to people that are over 69 years old. Soul sister. I think the point of the many diagnoses is that you have to visit the doctor to get them more indicative of a chap that embraces his role as patient. Clueless Clausy. Blind people ski all the time. They have special instructors. My blind friend just went. Oh, that's awesome. Listening to the doctor's testimony, I couldn't wait to hear your opinion. Thank you, Clueless. Medi. He makes it sound like he was run over by a snow grooming machine with all the exaggerations of supposed injuries. It's so cringe, I can't even. And guess what? I think the defense has done a good job of highlighting that. I think that's a very plausible and good argument that they can make, but they shouldn't bring in all this extra stuff, especially like erectile dysfunction, in my opinion, um, to prove that. Tori, sorry, I have to leave this chat. Should be graceful and loving of all sides. Love you all, respect you all. I don't want the chat to get ugly. Uh, we're better than this. The lawyer you know family love you, Peter. I'm sorry you left, Tori. Hopefully the chat was not too bad. Nikki, Jury are going to pay a lot of attention to the fact that he showed up to watch his explanation isn't plausible, in my opinion, versus a lot of the expert stuff. I agree. Jonathan, you and I always are you. I always agree with you. I'm glad you're trying to argue for this guy, but this trial is so annoying and I think is completely wrong. And that's totally fine. And I'm not even really arguing. Well, I don't want to say the trial is totally wrong. I believe he he deserves his day in court. Um, But I would be fine if somebody said they didn't believe Terry and they do believe Gwyneth, I think she, her testimony was better than his. Um, and that's kind of where I'm leaning right now. But I'm not making up my mind till I hear all the evidence, but I don't have a problem with that. I have no problem if you think the plaintiff should lose this case. Lita, Peter, would you have taken Sanderson as a client? If yes, what if Paltrow was the defendant? Wasn't the defendant. If the defendant was collectible or had insurance that could actually pay for his damages, if not, it's just going to cost him a bunch of money and cost us a bunch of time to get nothing. Um so number one, it doesn't have to be Paltrow, but there has to be something there that he can collect from to pay his medical bills. I mean, he's not going for medical bills, I guess. If I believed the story when he told it to me, I would take it. McKinley, PT, your chat is so harsh tonight. Once again, you've done an amazing job on this case. I'm sure they were being harsh towards me, probably, which is okay, but I like to keep it respectful and not like go at each other in the chat. We don't need keyboard warriors like that. We all learn from each other. So I'm giving you my perspective and I like hearing these different, different perspectives. So if people are giving me different perspectives, don't jump on them for that. A lot of our members or like Tina here all the time, commenting, asking questions. That's what I love. We welcome that. That's what this channel is all about. Um, differing opinions and disagreeing. It's totally fine. Uh, to have all these prior issues and be able to ski is pretty good. Is it meds keeping him going? If so, good for him. Stephanie Coker, did they include the rib fracture on this list? Well, this was supposed to be prior to the incident injuries that he had. They didn't even put the fall when he was 10 years old, which I think they should have. Uh, but trigger finger doesn't matter to this case. I agree, Jen. Alyssa, if they brought it in with a geriatric specialist, would that be better to prove normal aging defense? Potentially, but again, they wouldn't be able to bring in degenerative disc disease and trigger finger and he hurt his hamstring one time. They wouldn't be able to bring in a lot of that stuff. But the fact that what he's complaining about is part of the normal aging process, absolutely. Jonathan, this guy is just a creep. I think GP is a big B. He's just calling out everybody, uh, but she is being treated unfairly here. You can just flip the argument. Nothing is from this incident. Robin, could the judge have limited how much the medical history came in? Yes. I feel like some of it is relevant, but not all. I agree with you. And it seems like he did at certain points. So I was kind of confused at how this list came in, but I guess he was thinking that this expert made it relevant. Kuda. Yes, it does. Because all the prior issues could very easily lead to his mobility and reaction times. Woof. So if you hurt your if you hurt your knee once, you can never ski again, or it's on you because your mobility's bad. If you hurt your shoulder one time, you can't do X, Y, or Z. And if somebody gets hurt, it's your fault because you hurt your shoulder 10 years ago. 
Again, agree to disagree. I appreciate the comment, Kuda, and I appreciate where you're seeing it from, and some jurors absolutely might agree. Be kind. Okay, I'll change my vote. Only some should come in. Colleen, my apologies, Peter. I read your poll wrong. My answer would have been no. Thank you for your nightly recaps. I enjoy it and learn a lot, and I learn a lot from you all. Stephen, did they share medical history to imply he shouldn't ski? Potentially, but I don't think a lot of that's relevant to that. Not my takeaway. Shows history tendency. I forget how many doctor's appointments he had in such a short time. Bethany, yeah, I voted too soon. Changed my mind around. <laughs> Jonathan, I bet ED on the list was something that was attempting to make the creep snap. Uh, that is affecting him. He's acting like a drug addict on money. I don't know about that, but I'm sure it was meant to embarrass him. That's not above them. Uh, Galavantris. Hey, Peter, I think people are confusing health conditions with chronic illness. There is a difference. I agree. John, it seems from Terry Sanderson's family's argument uh, is pre versus post crash issues. Seems fair game to bring up prior crash issues. $3 million. Only relevant stuff. Only relevant stuff, in my opinion. And I mean, that's what I'd argue legally. Hopper, did I miss something early on because I'm shocked with all the med stuff Owens is using? He didn't demand a psych eval, maybe court denied. I know. And it sounds like he maybe didn't even demand it because they talked about how there are processes and procedures to ask to do this. And then the judge sustained any argument about that. So I don't know what happened. Paula, it seems Owen has very limited trial experience. He's in over his head in the courtroom thoughts. I think he's very experienced, but a lot of lawyers that are very experienced have not tried a lot of cases. Angela, I don't know the answer to that. If GP was at fault, this would have settled the night of the incident. I don't know about that, but I get your point. A uh, causality adjuster here, casualty adjuster here. Bravo that she is standing up to opportunists. I agree. I think if she believes that um, her day in court, she needs to go up there and stand up on principle, I think more power to her. Uh, Marjorie, did you see footage of GP cutting off a school bus? Yes. Apple on the back of her Vespa alarming. Why was this not submitted if allowed of all of, of uh, Terry's? I agree with you. I think that, I don't think that should have come in right? But I think if all this comes in, walking into walls, whatever, then all of that should have come in for her too. Fairness. That's what I ask for. Kim C. I think he is just exploiting her celebrity and wealth. That's fine. He came back for a second bite after losing the first round. I just want everybody to understand. A lot of my discussion tonight was not necessarily specific to Terry Sanderson, but to plaintiffs in these cases, because defendants make the same exact argument in every case. Medi. Why would the attorney's fees be in the six or seven figures? The case is seven years old. So if he was paying them hourly, it would be six or seven figures. That's my guess. A reasonable attorney's fees, I mean, they kind of range, they vary. Carla, many slopes require individuals who are blind or disabled to have personal guide. Happens with my daughter. <clears throat> Fran V, did it bother you that the attorney was chewing gum while reading her child's deposition today? EDB had a fit about it. Um, no, it didn't bother me, but I would never do it. We bring mints to trial with us so that we don't go for gum. Um, because there are people that it does really bother and there's a chance they're on your jury and I don't ever want to take that chance. We think about everything to what we wear, how we look, how we speak. Everything is important in a trial. So I do think it's important, although it didn't bother me personally. Joe, I sent a link to the defendant. I like them, not the use of the dead link. I had a hunch it wasn't, uh, a video, the meetup acronym for the group changed, but not the thread ID. Nicole, I just can't believe this guy at all. He's obsessed with this case, celeb status, and honestly disturbing. It's fair, fair assessment. Uh, ben, ski code or bro code? Bro code. Skyler, 
you mentioned mortality tables. What was the point of the plaintiff asking the last doctor how long you'd expect he has to live with his conditions? I agree with you. That's where I thought it was going, but I didn't ever hear it get there. Many times in trials, we won't have anybody even testify to the mortality table. The judge will let us put it in or a life care planner will to talk about what he needs the rest of his life. Mortality tables will be important when they're talking about future non-economic damages because you can say a million dollars a year and life expectancy is three more years. That's how we get to $3 million. That's what the mortality table is commonly used for. Boy, mom, thinking about renewing my law license, what is your favorite area of law, criminal or civil? Representing plaintiffs who are injured at no fault of their own is by far my favorite, most rewarding part to help people when catastrophic things happen to them at no fault of their own. They don't know how to handle the process. They have, they're dealing with grief or they're dealing with treatment and that's what they need to focus on. And we handle everything else for them by far my favorite area of law. <clears throat> Brooklyn basement, Peter FTR. I sub to your channel because of your specific defense perspective knowledge. It's fascinating. Never change. Can't wait for the Koberger case. Thank you, Brooklyn. I appreciate it. Uh, Janet, Sitting at a PC, downloading 82 pages of Koberger docs. Also, lady brought camera from Murdoch and got 1,000 pics of family photos. I appreciate you. Whoa. Gail Grace. I don't think folks are suggesting that he can't ski again. Just that with his comorbidities, he probably has an additional burden of self-awareness that he didn't have in prior years. Okay. Uh, Mindy. GP was on his right blind side GP going slower so she can't run up from behind. Slow car can't hit the faster car ahead. Correct. But he said he saw those big signs that said slow down. Remember his testimony? I've never seen such big signs, so I slowed down. Nicole, turn chat off if it affects you. We are fam here, and please respect others. Thank you, Nicole. I second this. Let's no, no negative effects here from the chat. Only positivity and learning and education. Stephanie, so if plaintiff's attorneys take a case on contingency and they lose, they get $0. No, they don't get $0, Stephanie. They get negative dollars because they have spent a ton of money and time on these cases. So yes, potentially we don't get paid for seven years of work. That's why, but guess what? Nobody can force me to take a case. So if I take a case, I'm betting on it. I believe in it. I'm willing to work for free if we lose. Absolutely. There are plenty of cases right now. If we lose and I get $0, still well worth it. I'm going to, I'm going to fight for these people that I believe in. I don't take a case. I don't believe in Peggy. This chat is awesome compared to almost all the others. You're the best. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Peggy so much. And I, I hope so. Sometimes I can follow it. Sometimes, you know, when I'm watching a video, it's hard to follow the chat at the same time. Lynn, after today, I'm thinking the jury is moving away from 50 50. Do you think Sanderson can be redeemed? What would you do? Peter? What would I do is probably going to be too long of an answer for this, but I do think they're probably inching toward uh, Paltrow at this point. Um, if I'm Sanderson, again, I kind of have gone line by line what I would do, but overall, I would talk about how they got their story straight at lunch, then they went and did the report, and ever since then, Deer Valley and Gwyneth Paltrow had gotten their stories in lockstep, and everybody's on the same team and against Terry Sanderson, and he's just here trying to do the right thing. Thank you, Lisa Swears. All right, we've got some new members here to shout out. Summer Butterfly, welcome. Jill R, welcome. Kamala Norris and Holly Hobby. It's almost April. And Holly Mommy. Holly Hobby and Holly Mommy. Is it was that Holly Hubby? Did I misstate that? Um, 
it's almost April, which means we've got to start planning our next uh, members only live. So that's going to be fun. Thank you, Carla Riley, who's also a member. Um, there's a members only community page for the members to go in there and kind of pick that stuff. I love for you guys to pick the content. Um, and we post a ton of it on the community page. We also post a ton of it on Twitter and Instagram at Tragos Law. If you want to follow me on there, Rob, I had zero interest in this trial, but Owens is antics, super fair judge, plaintiff's counsel reading opening, plaintiff absent, but re- returning for Paltrow, gum chewing, et cetera. Now I'm stuck here. I found this trial interesting from the jump because it's so, even though I've never had a ski crash case, it's so in line with a lot of the arguments I make and the things and the issues I deal with in my trials that I was locked in from the jump. And I'm glad other people are interested like you and Ian, more on Ian later. Donna G, thank you so much for this. Uh, Penelope's Lane, is it legal for the defense to reimburse Jenny Sanderson for work she would miss to attend trial and testify? Usually not to pay her something like that. They can pay for her to show up and costs like that. Uh, I would probably ask the judge before I did something like that. Amber, how do I share this? I think there's like a little arrow that says share and you can copy the link and post it wherever you want to post it. Or I think if you click that little arrow that says share, you can like text it or email it to somebody. Holly Hobby, thank you so much for this super sticker and for joining as a member tonight. And it didn't say hubby, it said hobby. All right, Ian, love your takes. Even when I disagree, we'll catch the rest on the replay crew later. And with that said, we are winding this down. So hit that like button on the way out and turn on whatever you have to turn on in order to allow a redirect. If you guys want to redirect to Ian's channel, because that's what we're going to do now. Um, As we end this live, I'm going to play our outro here because I want you to to listen to what what we do, what my firm does. If you want to call us about a case like this, a lot of people have since this trial because they're kind of seeing this is what we do. So I'm more than happy to talk to anybody about a case like this that may be an injury case. Um, But after we are in fact, once the outro goes out, going to redirect you to Ian's channel. So thank you so much that joined us for everybody that joined us tonight. I love you all. Even when it gets a little spicy in the chat, I like when we can disagree. I like to hear your thoughts on things. Um, even when we disagree, it helps me so much because I don't want anybody to be quiet that disagrees with me because you could be a potential juror on my jury. And I want to know what you think and why you think it so that I know how to deal with it. And I know how to reason with you and try to make you understand and maybe even try to make you change your vote like some of you did on the polls because you're like, oh, you know what? That's a good way of thinking about it. So you all teach me so much throughout this process and help me get better at my job and help me to fight for real victims of injuries. Even if you don't believe Terry Sanderson is one, I think we all agree that's a really important thing in our world. Um, All right, to the outro. Thanks everybody. And Say what's up to Ian's channel when you get over there. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Lawyer You Know podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, here's what to do next. Give it a share, rate, and review the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And make sure you subscribe to the show in the listening app of your choice. Follow me on all social media platforms at Tragos Law and join the Lawyer You Know YouTube channel and community where you can ask me questions live on all of these cases. If you've got an idea for a specific topic or you have a personal legal question on an injury case, whether it's a car accident, trip and fall, wrongful death, or catastrophic injury case, please email me at lawyeryouknow at gmail.com. All of these links I just mentioned are included in the show notes section of this episode. So until next time, I'm Peter Tragos.